It's me, Alex. I'm one of the co-hosts of Why Your Dads. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be joined by Sarah and our wonderful guest, Esme Wang, not long from now, but I just wanted to give you a quick intro to let you know what's going on. Sarah, right, you know, she's not going to be in this introduction because she's writing. She's getting the ideas out and she's putting them down on the page, which is great news. So I am here just to let you know that Why Your Dads is a show where we watch movies and we talk about dads, but really it's an excuse to talk about feelings and gender and masculinity and trauma <laughs> and all sorts of other things that we do in a relatively lighthearted and welcoming way. Um, we thought if we told you straight up, we're going to have a show and we're going to talk about how how much it hurt growing up sometimes <laughs> and how much it hurts being a grown up sometimes, you wouldn't listen. Would you listen? to No. But we figured if we hit it in this like candy shell, you'd come right along and here you are. We talked about Blue Valentine, which is a movie I had not seen because everyone told me it was very sad and it is very sad, but it was also a, a really lovely journey. I was glad to, uh, glad to go on it with Sarah and Esme. Esme, if you don't know, is an author. She's the author of The Border of Paradise and The Collected Schizophrenias. It was a delight to have her. Evidently, she, and you'll hear about this in the episode, she wanted to talk about Blue Valentine. Like, we didn't put her up to this. And uh, we're all the better for it, I would say. And if you've been in a difficult relationship, this might be a big one for you to listen to. We talk a lot about that sort of thing. But in all, I think we had a, a delightful and a glorious time. That Wired Ads is made possible with support by Knack Factory, which is a commercial content and video production company. Uh, it's based in Portland, Maine, but it works all throughout these United States. It wants to work with you to make some really lovely and compelling video for whatever your project is. So get in touch with the folks at Knack Factory if that's something you need. And also, Wired Ads is made possible with support by you, from you, from folks who help us via Patreon. Thank you so much, folks who help us via Patreon. Patreon.com slash Dads. If you are able to support us in that way, thank you so much. And if you're not, I get it. Times are weird. But if you are, thank you so much, too. Thank you for being a part of this community. And I just want to remind you that we make these little Spotify mixes every week for the show. We'll have one for this episode. Just check the show notes. You can click the link and you can hear some music that we think about when we think about this movie or this conversation about this movie, I should say. All right, let's do it. Let's get right into Blue Valentine. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. Yay! Hi, everybody. Hi, Esme. Why don't you Why don't you tell us a couple of things about yourself? So my name is Esme, and I have written two books: The Border of Paradise, which is a novel, which includes a not very excellent father figure um, who dies uh, and leaves behind a very isolated and dysfunctional family. Um, my second book is a collection of essays. It is called The Collected Schizophrenias. It was a New York Times bestseller. Feel free to pick up either of these at your local indie bookstore. And I also run 
a membership community called the Unexpected Shape for Ambitious Writers Living with Disability or Chronic Illness. And we offer scholarships and I teach workshops and online courses and there's a community and it's a really fun space. And you can learn about all these things at EsmeWang.com. Fabulous. I'm so excited to talk to you about this movie that I watched at five in the morning this morning <laughs> and put a a giant stone, a weighty stone of sadness in the pit of my stomach. Yeah. I guess wanna start by saying that all three of us made the executive decision to get up and say, Well, now that I'm awake, I guess I'll watch Blue Valentine. <laughs> <laughs> Which we should clarify for at least several people on Twitter is not Blue Velvet. No. This is a different movie that's devastating in a different way. Let me say, Alex, people suggesting that makes me think we should do Blue Velvet because then we would have two oh, pretty movies sure. and two blue movies in the spring and then I would just feel satisfied. Yes. That is great. Uh, Esme, let's chat briefly before we have Sarah explain what happens in this movie. This is a movie that you selected and I would love to know why. It's a great movie, but it has a lot to say. <laughs> yeah, I was first told about this movie under the context of like, this is the most devastating movie that exists and you should never watch it. And that, of course, made me want to watch it all the more. Mm. It is actually my favorite movie, I oh. think. Um, I call it my favorite devastating movie, but I, I do think it's actually my favorite movie. And as I was listening to some older episodes of your wonderful podcast, I started to, to think about the relationship between Blue Valentine and mm. dads, which is way stronger than I had ever thought mm. in all the other times I have watched Blue Valentine. It's a wonderful, devastating movie, and I also find it very interesting in terms of how the movie was made, mm. um, the kind of behind-the-scenes stuff that involves dad, dadding, parenting, and I am also interested in, and I don't know if we'll get to this, but the reputation of Ryan Gosling as mm. this kind of, like, feminist, like, hey, girl. Right. <laughs> God, that was such a thing, and at this time, right? <laughs> it was such a thing and he now has two daughters and has his own reputation as a dad um he has gone from sex symbol ryan gosling to dad ryan mm. gosling of two daughters and so the whole kind of trajectory of him as an actor of this movie and of how the movie was filmed just got me in a tizzy and I texted Sarah Marshall <laughs> randomly one day and was like, hey, here's an idea I had. It was a real Bart, can we stop for ice cream moment. So I'm super glad I've known about this movie for a long time. I've only known the devastating pieces. I've never actually watched it. I've seen other, the director's other movie with Ryan Gosling, the between the place between the pines, I think, or something like mm. that. I think it's called the place beyond the pines or yeah, the place beyond the pines. Yeah. Beyond the pines. I've seen that and I, this, this was great. And as I texted Sarah, I was in this marriage once. So this is, I cannot wait for us to <laughs> dive in. Um, Sarah Marshall. Alex Steed. Walk us through the, the plot for people who somehow have not seen this yet. It's really, it's, it's quite a simple plot. Esme, as you were describing this movie, it occurred to me that Blue Valentine, like The Silence of the Lambs, is secretly a horror movie. And both of them are filmed in and drawing on the sadness of Pennsylvania. <laughs> 
So Blue Valentine is a movie about a couple in Pennsylvania. It is told out of chronological order, which I think accounts for for me for a lot of it, its emotional power. And it's about a couple who start seeing each other when they're young. Their names are Cindy and Dean. Cindy is in high school when they get together. Dean has these like big love at first sight feelings. He's kind of like Ronnie Comerary, I think. Mm. And I also think this movie, it reminds me of Mrs. Doubtfire, and it also reminds me of Moonstruck. And so Cindy and Dean get married partly because her shitty ex-boyfriend has just gotten her pregnant, and he's like, let's be a family. And she's like, yes. And her family is shitty, and his family is off screen and seems to be shitty. They get married, and they have a baby, and they name her Frankie, and then we are cutting back and forth between them initially getting together and them now, when Frankie is, is she five, six, do we know, specifically? Aroundish. That would be my estimate, yeah. And kind of in the days leading up to them calling it quits for good, I hope. <laughs> yeah. And that's the movie. I was thinking at the end of it, I was like, I feel like emotional Pyrex, because <laughs> near the end of it, they are cutting between the euphoric early, it's like... We're layering, like, they meet, they fall in love, they get married alongside, they start fighting, they really go at, go at each other, and they end things. And so by the end, it's like both of these stories are gaining in intensity as we go, and so by the end, we're getting these layers of, like, devastation and euphoria, and I was just like, I am being taken yeah. in and out of hot and cold so fast that I just feel, like, shattering suddenly in someone's kitchen. <laughs> A large portion of the current day material between Cindy and Dean takes place when he convinces her to go to this weird love motel, which he has a gift certificate for. Which is like literally or spiritually in the Poconos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I I call this love motel place and they choose the future room um, because they're all themed rooms. Um, I call this future room the place where love goes to die because (laughs) it is the saddest theme room and it's the future (laughs) yeah and it's the future and it has a spinning rotating bed and there's weird like semi-coercive combative sex and an awkward shower scene anyway there's a lot of sadness in the love motel (laughs) this reminded me of my one of my favorite times seeing a movie ever and it's it's time i get this out of the way that i don't know how to say this author's last name but is it andre dubus 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 i don't know esme you're you're literary do you know (laughs) i am not sure you know what i like to say when i don't know i like to say something that we can all agree is totally wrong because then it's not claiming to be right so let's call him debussy Debussy. Okay. <laughs> there is a film adaptation of his his stories, uh, We Don't Live Here Anymore, which was basically about two couples cheating on each other w- with each other. Like rumors. I, I saw that movie in a theater with eight couples. Not I was with eight couples, but I was there solo and there were eight couples. Oh my God. Just that had come to see the movie. And I was just sitting in joy Ah. watching these relationships fall apart and all these people silently sitting next to each other wondering the status of their relationship as a result of what they were watching. And that's what I love about this last 
part of the movie, like the last fifth of the movie or whatever, mm-hmm. is exactly as Sarah said, you see the devastation and the euphoria split back to back to the point where you have to wonder if my wonderful time with my partner is inevitably going to end. Mm, <laughs> absolutely. Like some of the most brutal parts, I think, are when it's cutting between their very quick wedding is mm-hmm. it called a wedding he's wearing a blue suit she's yeah. very pregnant and they're saying their vows and it keeps cutting back to them in the kitchen in the present day and he's saying stuff like you promised like you made a promise oh yeah like you know you promised with to be with me in best and in worst and this is my worst yeah it's pretty pretty intense oh my god I wonder how many people love The Notebook and they watch this, you know, and they were like, I love The Notebook and this is a movie about a couple <laughs> and I can't wait to see how it goes down. And uh, then just it was like torture porn. For oh, them. yeah, it is torture porn. This movie is like Saw, you know, it's just like and what, to me, what was most funny about this experience of watching this movie, because I had watched it around the time it came out and I was just too young to really, I think, relate to a lot of it. Like I had had these experiences, but I hadn't processed them. So I was just like, oh, whatever. And this time I was like, this is utterly captivating. And it's like planet Earth for marriage. (laughs) 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 Because I recently let anger into my heart as a way that I could like feel safe feeling. I identified so much with Dean, so much. Mm. And I did not expect that. Oh, wow. I wonder how many people watch this movie and go like, I am the Cindy. Mm. And how many people watch it and go, I am the Dean, you know? (laughs) It's like, that's the most fun relationship question. Are you a Dean or a Cindy? (laughs) I related to them right down the middle. Yeah. I was surprised by that. But I think if I saw it 10 years ago, Mm. I would have very firmly been in a camp. Mm. But I'm fucked up on both sides of them. Mm. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, how would we summarize that? Like, who are these characters? I think Dean as a dad is very interesting because Mm -hmm. his presentation as a father is what kicks off the movie. It's his daughter Frankie is looking for their lost dog. He's kind of being really whimsical with her. He's concerned about the dog, but he, you can see him, you know, going with Frankie to wake up Cindy. They're like jumping on her. She's like, I'm sleeping. Stop. Like the playfulness is you can tell right away is disliked yeah. by Michelle Williams's character. I think in a different situation, in a different relationship, in a different time, this would mm-hmm. be cute. But it's just very uncomfortable. They're eating breakfast. She works. Yeah. Yeah. She works. Dean paints houses to be fair i also gotta say if you want a kid to eat something fast like don't give them a bowl of oatmeal give them a toaster strudel (laughs) like oatmeal (laughs) is a slow food michelle it is a slow food and he makes it dean makes it even slower by putting the raisins and the oatmeal on the table and pretending to be animals and eating it and cindy is very much like quit this we need to get going. You are being too playful. And so that is kind of the ongoing conflict in terms of their parenting styles, in my opinion, is that Dean wants to be a mm. kid. He wants to be, you know, the fun dad who is, you know, Frankie's playmate. And I feel like he wants her to be his mommy, you know, like, and as things escalate mm. at the end, I feel like he's saying, like, you, you agreed we're a family, like, you can't leave me now. And it's like, No, like, there's a real child now, so you can't be that anymore. 
This is like what would have happened after Say Anything. <laughs> this is what would have happened after roughly 40% of the movies that we grew up watching. Yep. But Esme, you were talking about him. You were talking about him as a father. Like, how does that hold through the movie? I just find it very interesting that in the past Dean and Cindy scenes, he's kind of the rescuer. Mm. As Sarah Marshall was talking about the plot, we kind of jumped a little bit over the abortion yeah. uh, aspect of it mm-hmm. because when, when she gets right. pregnant, she's planning on getting an abortion. And there's a scene where she knows she's pregnant. She doesn't want Dean to know they're on a bridge. He's like trying to get it out of her. That is actually a really fascinating mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Which is that Derek Sion France, the director, told them each separately on that scene on the bridge. Ryan, like, you are trying to get a secret out of Michelle. You don't know what it is and you're going to do anything to get it out of her. Michelle, he told her separately, you have a secret and you cannot tell Ryan what it is no matter Hmm. what. And so Hmm. they filmed this scene all day. And at the end of the day, as the sun was setting, Ryan Gosling started climbing over the side of the bridge. Uh, That's when Cindy slash Michelle Williams starts freaking out because he's risking his life. Acting! Yeah, that is acting! (laughs) And so um, that is how he finds out that she's pregnant. And so they go together to the abortion clinic and he is the, you know, the good boyfriend. He's waiting in the waiting room. They actually go pretty far into describing or detailing what the what it's like the doctor Mm -hmm. is very calm he's very you know the the procedure is really chronicled Mm -hmm. but she decides she's just like stop yeah and you see them talking outside of the clinic you can't hear what they're saying but then later on the bus he's like let's be a family and that feels like at least if this movie were just existing in the past Cindy and Dean scenes, that's that feels like the romantic, like, you know, you saved me. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I was going to have to raise the child myself, but, yeah. but now you've decided that you're going to be with me and raise this kid. That likely isn't even yours, but that's um, it doesn't turn out as sweetly as mm. we think. It might. I mean, this is the thing that stood out the most to me that was most resonant. And so when I say that, like, I lived this marriage, fortunately, I didn't live the part of the marriage that takes place in the doctor's office when he punches Lou from um, Angels in America. But I know. I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, is that Lou? It's Lou. Hey, Lou. <laughs> yeah, I didn't like what Lou's character was doing in this no. movie. But the thing that stuck out is, like, you have... And I've been here several times in long-term relationships where you find somebody and you both save each other and you become the family that you couldn't have because of your family. Mm-hmm. And that is your unifying thing. And then you try to coast off that and construct a relationship out of that. But there's not a relationship to construct because all that you've done is create sort of like a new system to be with each other on. And then you're perpetually frustrated that you can't do anything more than that. Mm. And just watching these people (laughs) do that, I was like, oh, man, just get out of the way. And fortunately... You know, fortunately, finally, she she makes the inverse decision that he does where, you know, he thinks that staying together is is ultimately the most important thing. But, you know, she knows from her experience that staying together is uh, another form of hell. 
Yeah, and I think a couple of things about that. So for one, both of them think that what they want is best for Frankie. In that argument in the kitchen Mm -hmm. at the end, he just keeps saying, you know, you're not thinking about Mm -hmm. Frankie. You want a divorce. You're not thinking, do you want her to grow up in a broken home? And she's crying and she's saying, I am thinking about Frankie. I don't want her to grow up in a home where her parents act like this toward one another. And I think the other thing that... I find very sad about this movie is that there are some ways in which Cindy tries to usurp this fate that she finds herself in where she's talking to her grandma Mm. earlier in the movie. Um, She's in this relationship with this shitty wrestler guy and she was visiting her grandma who she loves very much. And she's like, what did it feel like when you fell in love? And her grandmother does not tell her this very romantic story. She says, I don't think I found it. He didn't really have any regard for me as a person. Mm. And, and Cindy is like, I don't want to have a marriage like my parents. I want like a real love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I, and we also find out that Dean's mom left when he was 10, I think. And so it's I think they're both trying to prevent what they grew up with because they're both sure that that's the worst possible outcome. Right. Which I grew up with what Cindy had, and I think she's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a dynamic starting point, which is to be completely incentivized. And you don't know it when it's happening, right? But to be completely incentivized by early on creating the opposite of what you had mm-hmm. because in this case like it makes it hard to like be like is there actually love there or am I just stoked that this person is not my family but fortunately like that motivation ends up pulling her out is it love or is it George Costanza doing the opposite <laughs> <laughs> I mean, did that work? I can't remember in that episode. Did that work? Well, it's interesting because he did get that job at the Yankees, but then that was kind of a, a thorn in his side for years. So <laughs> in a way, no. <laughs> Another part that I find really moving and and painful is when they're in the future room. I'm just going to keep calling it the future room because it's this bizarre. It's yeah, I mean, that's what it's called. Yeah, it's the future room. So they're getting drunk together. They're trying to, you know, feel close. And Cindy is asking, why don't you do something? And he, he just keeps saying, I am something. I'm Frankie's dad. I'm your husband. And then he says, I didn't want to be somebody's husband. I didn't want to be somebody's dad. But somehow it was what I wanted. I didn't. I don't want to do anything else. This is the dream. Mm. How do you feel about that? I'm curious as to what you two think about how true do you think this is to him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I. I think it. Fe- I think it feels true to him as he's saying it. But it's not. I don't think it's a guiding principle. He's also an alcoholic, mm. w- which we haven't touched on. My take is that he got he found himself trapped in a situation and now he's reverse engineering a rationale for it. Hmm. And like I felt that way when he was saying the stuff about looking up for Frankie at the end. Like I didn't I didn't believe that either. I didn't believe like his ultimate concern. I believe he loves that child a lot. And we see that. And we I believe that he that is his daughter. No, I don't mm-hmm. believe that it is. It is actually his daughter, but I believe that it is his daughter. He's her daddy, like Michael Rooker. Yes, exactly. I think like he was using that because he realizes he's failing and he's throwing everything at the wall. Oh, yeah. And that was sad and hard to watch. From the beginning, we're seeing this dynamic established where, like, I mean, this is why I say it's like Mrs. Doubtfire. He gets to do all the fun stuff, and she's left with all the work. And she Mm -hmm. has to be the one who's like, eat your oatmeal, we're late, put your shirt on. 
and he gets to be the fun one and that just like eats at you over time yeah i feel like this is a not uncommon dad dynamic though oh yeah (laughs) for sure (laughs) i also was interested in this movie because i know that both of you have what you call old dads Mm. and i have a young dad i have a young dad to the point where i am commonly mistaken as his girlfriend or wife oh it is yeah it is awkward um it hasn't happened super much uh recently but it has happened numerous times in my life Mm. you know we will be at like a department store together and the salesperson will just assume that he is buying me jewelry or like yeah it's it's very or we'll be at the hospital and they'll be like oh is this your husband (laughs) like it's it's yeah so my dad had me when he was very young um definitely well probably not as young as dean was when frankie was born i don't actually know how old dean is at that point i want to guess like early 20s like maybe 20 22 something like that Oh, gosh, then that is when my dad yeah. had me. Yeah, but he wasn't, like, drinking all day and painting houses, probably. <laughs> um, the drinking, maybe. But... <laughs> but the painting is what'll really hate you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the house painting will... Okay, that is another thing that I think is a very amazing is how they managed to make Ryan Gosling's receding hairline look so realistic. That is just a... It's just a side point. It's so good. I thought a lot about it. I thought a lot (laughs) about how it would have to be cut, how it would have to be shaved, Mm. exactly what... I thought so much about that. Like, I think would think about, like, an intricate special effect. Yeah. So what what stood out to you about your experience with, with Young Dad in this? I feel like... I don't remember my dad as being super playful. He actually wasn't around a lot when I was young. But I think that what Cindy is kind of confronting dean with in the future room about like don't you want anything more you can do so many things you're like artistic you can draw you can sing etc etc that's the kind of stuff that my dad i think didn't want to miss out Mm -hmm. on when i was a kid and when my brother was a kid just he wanted to start his own company and he wanted to make millions of dollars and he wanted to i think it was i mean it was hard for both of my parents because they were both quite young but it was hard for my dad in a way to learn how to be responsible for these kids and this family. Mm. Yeah, my, I related strongly to the dad, to her dad. My life would have been being Frankie with that old man around, that simmering old man from the wire. Mm. The moment near the end where Dean goes in for the last kitchen fight and he locks... Cindy's dad out. He's like, you can't let me lock me out of my own house. My oxygen's in there. Like that (laughs) coming at that moment in the movie was like laugh out loud funny. It was hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) Laugh out loud funny in a movie that is very low on laugh out loud funny moments. Not a lot of it. You just need one little laugh and it'll really give you some steam i think yeah can i talk a tiny bit just about like those last like brutal moments in the movie yeah okay because i feel like this is really where i got kicked in the teeth and i actually did not remember Mm. this um as well when i was just thinking about the movie abstractly even though i've watched it many many times so i had thought that dean just like kind of walks away and he does but what he does is 
there are these like firecrackers going off. I'm not exactly sure why. He's walking off into the distance and then Frankie chases after him and she she's calling daddy. And then she runs up to him. He goes, you got to go back in. And she keeps yelling, daddy, daddy. Um, and he's like, go back to your mom. And finally, he tricks her into running back to Cindy by saying they're going to race. Uh, but he doesn't go Ugh. anywhere and she runs back to Cindy. And then Cindy picks her up and Frankie is just crying in her mom's arms and she says I love him mm. and Cindy is like it's okay don't cry while Dean walks into the distance mm-hmm. oh my god it's like Shane it really is then I love that it like the next scene is all the pictures of them coming together as a couple yeah. like that's that's oh my god this is uh, technically wild. <laughs> yeah. This is the movie that makes me go, fuck you, Sean. Yeah. <laughs> but do you feel like that ending or like the kind of present day situation is unavoidable when you look at the movie as a whole? I mean, here's the thing about that ending is like, that's a devastating moment, but also like these people shouldn't be married to each other. They need to not be married. They need to at least separate probably they should just like call it quits permanently and like clean cut and that's the way that like you can figure out custody and like Frankie getting to have a dad if Dean can like meet them there and like do his part in that because this is just like an ugly horrible situation and they're just destroying each other and also like this is a movie about people that are in their mid to late 20s mm-hmm. <laughs> this is actually an early chapter in their lives like yeah. I actually I think that this is also an example of like a relationship that is the best you can imagine at that time and then you grow partly because of that relationship and then you can imagine better and you can commit the act of bravery which is like ending things and not clinging to what feels like love but is more like dependency like this is this is like also The Shining if Wendy had like fucked off with the kid, frankly. <laughs> I love that idea. And I think that there should be 20 versions of The Shining made that just take place in adjacent universes like Wendy leaving and I will watch all of those. Yeah. But the I agree. I mean, I think that their issue, they fell apart because they were never really together. They were both running from something and then it sort of collided with each other. Right. And even if even if their value proposition from the get go was let's be a family together, like we know now that that could have been entirely accomplished either without them being a long term monogamous couple or maybe they could have just been. I don't think this was on the table. Like, I don't think they had the maturity for it, but like they could have just been in each other's lives and he could have been a dad to Frankie. Like, that's a thing that could have existed. But he's like ready to pop. He's ready to become obsessed with some lady and she's that lady. Yes, yes, exactly. And they're ready to disappear in that. And and like from the get go, I mean, like she's ambitious. Yeah. She wants to be a doctor. Totally. And he just wants to be Lloyd Dobler doing nothing like so from the get-go it was a bad choice Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it doesn't mean that like a lot of like great stuff probably didn't come out of the early part of that relationship as happens in a lot of our ill-advised long-term relationships but um yeah it seems like it was doomed from the Mm -hmm. (laughs) get-go I find that so interesting because I think in having watched this movie so many times I always had this feeling that somewhere along the line they went wrong something Mm. went wrong along the line and Mm. that it wasn't doomed from the get-go and maybe that's just my 
sappy, romantic, like, oh, young Dean is so cute. He sings little songs on his ukulele and Michelle Williams looks so happy. Um, they are so cute and they are so They are adorable. Yeah. Yeah. But I do like this dismal view that both of you have that they were doomed. <laughs> they were doomed. Well, I just think that you're often doomed in your 20s and then you yeah. get older and then you get, marry someone else. <laughs> I mean, I've I've literally been the manic pixie dream boy wearing a Misfits shirt in a grown-up woman's life in the past on several occasions. And so anytime I've tried to do a postmortem to myself and been like, where did it go wrong? I eventually realized that it was never right, you know? <laughs> like, it felt right. There was a lot of convincing up front that it was right to each other. It was right, certainly, for the moment, but we didn't have the language to say... Yeah just because this is right for right now doesn't mean that this is a forever thing. And that's a thing that I only ever grasped in a real way until so many of those things came crashing down. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, Derek's Sion France is France is somebody who like really likes to immerse his actors in the movies that he makes. He actually hasn't made that many movies, but so at this point during the filming of this movie, Michelle Williams already had Matilda, mm-hmm. um, but Ryan Gosling was not yet partnered with Ava Mendes. He had no daughters. But what Derek did was he had Ryan and Michelle live in an apartment together with Frankie. He gave them a budget, like the budget that they would have had Mm. given the jobs that the characters had. They celebrated holidays. Did you pay Ryan in 20s? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like he had to pay for his own cigarettes. Like it, it was this whole thing. Like they had celebrations. The director would tell them to fight and they would have to have these like fights and arguments and the apartment and then immediately take the actress who played Frankie to a to a play center Mm. (laughs) like like as kind of this immersive experience and in watching interviews with the two of them I think it sounds like they found it a really useful practice in making Mm. this movie and there there is a lot that was ad-libbed I think um as well Mm. Yeah, this this seems Altmanian. Yes, not Kubrick, not Kubrick like at all. Not Kubrickian. Just like, just, just hate <laughs> each other. I do feel like these are kind of the poles of auteur, like at least American auteur filmmaking. There's like, okay, actors, figure it out, <laughs> and then there's like, actors, you are tiny figures in a maze. Please me. (laughs) (laughs) The Saw version of directing. Yeah. (laughs) I imagine that that technique is a huge part of the reason why everyone maintained their humanity even in their worst moments. Yeah. This movie does like a fascinating thing in that like there are times when Dean in particular is extraordinarily, does very unlikable things. Oh, yeah. Like does does bad things. He rampages into his wife's workplace and punches her boss. That is mass shooter behavior. But I was just like, yep, I I see how we got here. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly right. Like I see how we got here, which is a crazy thing for a movie to be able to pull off, which is you see the bad behavior, but it's not, it is very hard to immediately go like, well, fuck this guy. Cause you're like, nah, yeah. these people live in a chaotic mess together. One of the reasons I think, or one of the scenes that really helps build Dean as a, as someone you can feel for, even in the current 
Dean situation is when they do find the dog, um, Cindy is the one who finds the dog and the dog is dead and and Dean has to bury the dog. Um, They have Frankie go to the grandfather's house. But what they did was the crew actually started digging the hole for the quote unquote dog to be buried. But the director was like, no, Ryan has to dig the hole. I I would imagine so. (laughs) And he made him dig this hole for like an extremely long time. And so in interviews, I've seen the part where Dean bursts into tears after Mm. burying the quote unquote dog and Cindy is comforting him. I mean, it's a very painful and raw scene. And I think it is effective or it happens in that very emotional way because he says in interviews, like, I really tricked my body and myself mm. into believing that I was burying my own dog. Yeah. Oh, God. The re- a reason why that scene is so well-rounded is everything that you just said, plus he's a dick to her about leaving the gate. We don't even know if she left the gate open. Yes. Mm-hmm. He uses it as a weapon immediately. Right. He uses it as a weapon. It's like she just touched this dead dog, presumably. Like, be cool. But I'm also like, I get it, man. It's the fucking, it's not the thing to do. It's the worst thing to do. But he can't help himself. Yeah. And oh, God. That's the thing. Like, it's hard not to look at both of these characters, for me anyway, and think like I have been like both of these people at various moments moments and at my various worsts Mm -hmm. totally and inside i'm like talking to him like i'm talking to like a decade younger version of me going shut the fuck up man shut the fuck up man just shut your mouth shut your mouth shut your mouth there's no reason to say this you're at a recital she's crying totally i was talking to him like i was talking to me in my mid-20s being like this is this is a point you need to make right now like i don't even understand oh my god I mean, it's so interesting to hear all all these details that you know about the production of the movie because you can see where they paid off because all of these things could stand on their own and be some one-dimensional, interesting Mm -hmm. element. But when they all work together, you get this whole picture of these people. So it's hard to, you know, fall on one side of them or the other. Mm -hmm. I hope they're okay now, 10 years later. Those characters? Yeah. How is Frankie doing? (laughs) Frankie listens to the show. Yeah, Frankie does listen to the show. (laughs) Totally. What is Frankie's relationship with her dad or their dad? That all depends on how Dean handled things. Oh, man. Do you think Dean could be available after this? Like available to his child? Yeah, like do you think like he has it in him to be mature enough to be to navigate a relationship with everybody involved? Or does he just have to peace out? You know, I, God, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing about him is that, like, he shows up and I think he's able to sort of, like, collide into her as this, like, let's get married, let's be a family thing because he's, like, ready to commit wildly to an idea. Yeah, he's, like, romantic with a capital R. He's, like, a Byronic kind of romance, you know? Which is, is by definition, also vampiric, right? (laughs) So yes, he has that kind of capriciousness like I do think that he like really really loves Frankie but I know I think it's going to be rocky like I don't think that it's going to be like they achieve joint custody and like are able to like do peaceful handoffs at malls or whatever this is going to be a thing like he's there's going to be future recital drama I don't know yeah like maybe he will go pick a fight in a bar with the wrong person and get killed. I don't know. Anything could happen, but... Yeah. I actually kind of picture him reenacting this relationship with another partner. Oh, yeah. Like, with a new partner, you Mm. know? I'm gonna start all over. 
here's a new person yeah. I can be with and then it'll just be the same old shit. <sighs> no, I agree. I mean, I've seen, it took me two of these. Why do you think we don't have the materials for faith that he's going to work on himself? Well, the biggest thing is we know, so as, as, as may said earlier, like he's an alcoholic and we haven't touched, we haven't touched that in a big yeah. way, or at the very least he has an active drinking problem that is yeah. taking up all of the energy he would put into sorting his shit out. Mm. We don't see any inclination. He actually like still says defensive, positive shit about it. Like he's, he has the luxury of drinking before he goes to work. Like that, that's built into his job. At 8am. At 8am, right. And so he doesn't, at the very least, he hasn't gotten the thing out of the way that needs to get out of the way for him to like actually do some work. So I have a strong feeling he's not going to, mm -hmm. he's not going to do that. At least by the next relationship, I think I agree with Esme too, where it's like, I think he does another one of these first i think one of the scariest moments of this film for me was when he busts into her workplace mm -hmm. after she has snuck out of the future room and you realize through the conversations between cindy and her co-workers yeah. that the co-workers are scared of him yes and it must be because of stuff she said about what he's done that we don't know about right. because it's not in the movie. But the way that they are so scared of him, the way that they were like, I'm right here. Like, do you need me to like call somebody? Like, it's very, it's very frightening. Mm -hmm. Well, my feeling is that these coworkers, at least some of them are like, yep, these people should not be married anymore. And that she's been like, at least confiding in, in one person there. And it's clear to people who know her that like the situation is just doomed. Yeah, I think at the at the very least, they know that she and I'm I'm saying this with a lot of love for Dean, but yes. acknowledgement. They know at the very least he's just a loser. Right. That is getting in the way of her progress. And at the most he might kill her. Because this is how wives get killed. Yeah. And it's so sad, too, because she's such a fucking mark the whole movie, like with her boss, too. Yeah. It's like there are these people who latch onto her and just take advantage of her in a pretty substantial way. And like even like everything about her to this point, it feels like she doesn't have the most agency in people around her, like including this fucking asshole that she gets her pregnant. Mm -hmm. Every male in her life is a drain on her in some way. Yeah. And they've most certainly heard about that via Dean. Yeah, because one of the culminating scenes in the kind of early days romance for them is that he comes over and has dinner with her family and meets her family. They like get Cindy talking about a professor that she likes and what she wants to do. And you can tell that she I my read is that she like is very scared to be speaking at the table in front of her dad. Yeah. And then there's the moment where her dad's like, Cindy wants to be a doctor or whatever. And you can just tell that he's like offering to this man who wants to marry her. Like, do you want to make fun of her for that? Because I think you should. Right. And he's like, no, thank you. And like that scene is so intense because it's like I can just see how like this is by far much more than the best you can imagine at this time. And like you just have to grab that rung and like keep hauling yourself up mm. yeah her home life is terrible terrible and i also was thinking of again that bridge scene and i had not had this reaction to the bridge scene before but when i showed this movie to my best friend for the first time she took that moment of him climbing over the side of the bridge to convince her to reveal her secret she was like Get the fuck away from this guy. Mm -hmm. He is emotionally 
manipulative. He is being abusive. This is a, a bad thing to do. And I don't know if this is because of my own long history of bad relationships, but I, I completely had not seen that. Mm. Um, this kind of, again, like capital R romantic, like very like, I'm so dramatic. I'm going to go to the ends of the earth and do these ridiculous, make these ridiculous gestures kind of situation. Yeah. Before 30, every one of my grand gestures was about me. <laughs> you know, like they were not about the other, they looked like they were about the other person. I could convince myself they were about the other person, but I had the same reaction that your friend did when I saw him get up there. I was like, this guy is bad news. Like, yeah. like this is manipulation. Well, this is threatening suicide as a relationship coercion tactic. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's not to say that it doesn't look great mm -hmm. if you're in the moment and you're like, this person is cares about me in a way that doesn't involve throwing a meatloaf across the room like my dad, which is his love language. Yes. So this looks great. Or her shitty wrestler boyfriend. Ugh, that guy's the worst. Who calls you a freak even when things are going well. Yeah. I think that a really important moment in, like, relationship cinema is the scene in Goodfellas where Henry, with a gun in his hand, punches the face off the guy who tried to assault his girlfriend Karen and then like mm. Mark is over to Karen's house across the street with his angry little face and like gives her a gun to hide right it's a pretty direct quote from the actual Karen Hill she's like I know there are some women like my girlfriends who would end things the minute their boyfriend gave them a gun to hide but I gotta admit the truth it turned me on <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> it's like thank you Karen Thank you for telling the Totally. Because, like, this is a thing that happens in relationships where you're like, I can't tell my friends about this, but that's fine, at least for now. Yeah. There's a Blake Mills song called Don't Tell All Your Friends About Me. It's about exactly about this. It's basically from Dean's perspective. It's mm. like, please don't tell them about, like, my rawest moments. Mm. And it's self-aware to a point where it's painful. Yeah. I feel that, like, the capital R romance stuff... Mm. You know, it's like a hologram. It's like you see it from this side and it looks like one thing and then you see it from this side and it looks like another thing. Yeah. I can't remember if I already said this line, but like in the kitchen scene, one of the lines that just killed me is when Dean is like sobbing and he says, I'm just fighting, fighting for my family. Tell me what to do. Yes. Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. I have specifically that line has been used on me. Someone was like, I want you to come and fight with me and fight for our relationship. And I was like, yes, that sounds like I'm going to get yelled at. <laughs> 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 yes, I have also been in a relationship where the guy was like, I'm not used to not fighting for what I want. Oh, fuck you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> when you think about Dean as a person who has his own agency and can say what he says and believes and wants or whatever, you, you're like, that's the fucking worst. But then you see where these people are from and you're like, they never learned how to communicate with people like they're from pennsylvania they don't know <laughs> <laughs> this is all of our problem like we all want things to be cut and dry we want to be like this person did a bad thing this person did a good thing or whatever but like all of us for the most part with very few exceptions we are all people who never learned how to communicate because the mm -hmm. people who taught us how to communicate are disasters themselves and then when we have needs a we don't know what the need is because we don't can't identify what needs are b we have no idea how to go about asking for it outside of usually 
even though we know how bad it was emulating the things we saw our parents do. Yeah. And it's just a disaster of a cycle. <laughs> or misidentifying the need. Thinking right. the need is something else than it actually is. Mm-hmm. My friend calls the way that babies wake up crying randomly, kind of panic when they're alone, the like help I'm trapped in a bush mechanism. <laughs> And I think that persists for our whole lives, you know, it's just, it's like, you just fall back into like, help, I'm trapped in a bush. And like, (laughs) you have to somehow like have within yourself and around you the resources to be like, I'm not in a bush. Mm. But if you think you're in a bush, like you can do some damage. Yeah, absolutely. You got to get out of the bush at all costs. And Dean at the end is like, help, I'm trapped in a bush. (laughs) And also like the way that he escalates at the doctor's office when he like shows up. That reminded me of when we talked about The Wrestler with Gabby. Alex, I think you were saying that like Randy in that movie like does that spiral thing of like he fucks one thing up and he's like, might as well fuck everything up. Yes. Burn it all down. And Dean is like, I'm in a feeling. I am here. Like I've already fucked things up. I'm not stopping. Like I identify in him this feeling of like I am inside of this emotion and everyone else is going to suffer as much as I am Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and he does that thing where it's really important for him to be seen a particular way too Mm. and in doing so he just fucks up further like he wants to show that he's not like a man like her wrestler ex-boyfriend who beat him up and he's not a man and he's like not gonna like hit people and like he's not gonna hit her but he doesn't see that he's even though he's not hitting her, it's insanely menacing or like yes. an extraordinarily menacing situation that he's created. I like how like when husbands and boyfriends inflict property damage, it's fine. But when like protesters do it, it's a federal offense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he punches so many things in this movie. I just kept watching him punch the fence. He punched the door frame. He's also like assaulting her workplace. It's too bad that it all didn't line up another way because that because Lewis needed to be punched. No doubt. He did. Yeah. Lewis needed to be punched. This was not the circumstance for it. This was not the right way to go because now Lewis can just believe he didn't deserve it. Hmm. But he did still get punched, though. His face has been punched. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't imagine that Cindy can keep her job after that. Didn't he say that she was done? Like, he said to Cindy yeah. like that it was all oh. done. And I was like, ugh. Yeah. I know. Her friend responded to the doctor like, what is your logic here? Because her friend doesn't know that the doctor is pursuing uh, Cindy. Mm-hmm. That whole triangle is yeah. was rough. Dean, not the worst man in this movie, actually. Esme, we know who some dads are in this movie. Who is the daddy? I don't know if I ever understood this question. <laughs> yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> no one ever has. It's fine. So it's really eye of the beholder. So it's either like who you think personifies good dad ways or whoever is daddy-like and uh, fuckable or whoever is really what I mean, really, it, it tells us about you. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I really have to say, I think Ryan Gosling is the Mm. daddy in this movie like first of all because ryan gosling is hot and i did not realize this until the nice guys came out which was way after everybody else realized ryan gosling was hot and also he looks really kind of weird in that movie but anyway um 
No, I just think his performance in this movie makes him the daddy to me. Like, it's the the commitment to creating this role and putting out all his big feelings and letting us all kind of understand moments when we have been that shithead <laughs> and ways that um, those shitheads have been in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not character-wise, but just Ryan Gosling. Like, I can't imagine a more, like, attractive person. Like, an attractive cis man is Ryan Gosling. Like, he is, like, from, from like, performance to just, like, overall disposition to how I imagine he is in life. And this makes me want to cover Drive in a big way, which is mm. another Ryan Gosling mm. as adopted daddy um, movie that I'd like, that I love a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, God, it's hard... It's hard to not think that he's the case. I mean, a very reasonable argument could be made for for Cindy uh, also, but mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling is incredible. I do want to say that early on when I was proposing this movie, I sent Sarah Marshall a gif from the end of one of the times Ryan Gosling hosted Saturday Night Live. And you know how like everybody is like gathered around and stuff like that. And then he he yelled into the camera Esmeralda, Amada, Ava, I love you. Hmm, that's so nice. <laughs> mm, yeah. He's a family man. All right, so I think the daddy is Cindy's co-worker who is very helpful yes. and has her yes. back. Oh, yes. Does she have a name that we know? I don't know. I don't, yes, he says it at her several times, and I oh, can't okay. remember what it is. I'm notoriously terrible at names, but he says it in a shitty way back to her <sighs> a couple times. Mm. This is actually the best modeling mm. uh, that I've seen in a movie of what one should do in this situation. Mm. How would you describe that? You know, she repeatedly tells Cindy that she's here if she needs her. Mm-hmm. She doesn't confront him until it yeah. really requ- is required to confront him. She's just making it known that she is present and she's making it known to Cindy that she is there for her. And I think that that's, I told a story earlier on Twitter about my mom. She saw a, like a, a fight where a guy was hitting his wife or partner. My mom picked up a rock and ran after the guy. And that's oh and like gosh. that's like the 90s way of being present. And I would strictly, I would also still advocate for that in particular situations. Mm-hmm. But we do know that that, ex- that can accelerate situations and et cetera. But so the way that this person does it is they are present without escalating but when it escalates they become more involved and it's cool it's i've never seen that in a movie yeah hmm there should be a liam neeson movie about that bystander intervention (laughs) there are a lot of bystander intervention courses being taught on or workshops being taught online right now because of the anti-asian sentiment happening in this country and and i have signed up for one of them um hollaback is uh puts is putting on a lot Mm. of them so you know, if you feel like looking them up. Oh, that's great to know. If you want to be a daddy. If you want to be a daddy <laughs> in a not Dean way. Intervene. Don't be Dean. Intervene. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you to Esme for joining us on the show and for talking about this movie. We appreciate it, Esme. Thank you for so much for being here. We'll We'll have you again soon, I hope. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick, who makes the show sound wonderful. She is a wonderful musician herself. You can find her at carolynkendrick.com. She has a she has an EP called Tear Things Apart. You can find us on social media, uh, Twitter, Instagram. You can find us on Patreon. You can find me on TikTok. 
that I think is all that we need to talk about right now. Join us next week for Pretty in Peak with Julie Klausner. All right. So long. <laughs>